right. Hare Krishna. My name is Katamrita. I'll be your host today for Sankirtan On. Welcome everyone to the program. Today we have a wonderful guest named Daya Maya. Thank you so much for coming on Daya Maya Prabhu. Um, just to give everyone a little bit of a heads up and uh, bio of Daya Maya. She has been a Sankirtan devotee for 15 plus years. She's traveled extensively, especially in New Zealand, and um, has been yeah, giving bhakti to so many people around the world and also is expert in cultivation. So welcome to the platform, Daya Maya. Hare Krishna Katamita. Thank you for having me here. Mancha Kalpa Chiriyas so I just wanted to start by asking you, Diamaya, could you please um, give our audience a bit, yeah, history about yourself, how you came to Bhakti, if you'd like, about where you are now in life, Oops. and also the services you're currently engaged in. So I came to Bhakti in in the U.S. when I was working. And um, I used to go to the Boston Temple, and I met a few made a few friends there, and um, I used to attend the Bhakti Riksha with them every week, and that's how I actually developed um, reading habits. And and then um, one of them actually um, introduced me to my spiritual master. His Holiness Devamitra Swami Maharaj, um, he gave me some of his lectures for me to listen to. And I started listening to my spiritual master's lectures and I would listen to almost like four hours a day. And um, I would try and find some fault in the lectures because I, I used to think that, I wasn't how, can someone that. Be, <laughs> how can someone be so right in everything, you know, that I had to agree. There was nothing for me to question it was so crystal clear and right so i used to listen to the lectures hoping that i'll find some fault but i couldn't find any fault so i listened to his lectures for a month or something like that and then i then wrote to him saying that yeah i would like to meet him personally and express my desire for growing in Krishna consciousness and yeah that's that's how my journey began <laughs> wow that's amazing um like in terms of that feeling that you had, uh, you know, you're sort of scrutinizing over the classes and going through them and thinking like, I've got to find something that he doesn't know something about or try to find something wrong with what he said. Um, do, do you feel like that was because, I mean, I didn't mention, but Diamaya is from India. She's actually um, from Delhi. So I was wondering, like, do you feel like it might have been because of your background coming up from India and, oh, so many gurus and <laughs> so many swamis, so many sadhus, babajis <laughs> in every corner? Do you think it might have been from that influence or... Um, I don't think so because, I mean, personally, I hadn't met many Babaji's in my life before <laughs> that. <laughs> um, I was just focused on my studies and my career. Um, but yeah, when I started listening to his lectures, they were so, they, they were always right. Whatever he said was so right. And I, I was, I was like, how can I just, how can I just agree to everything that someone says? There has to be something that I should disagree with. 
I see. So what does mean like that? Kind of like in terms of being a good student, like that you should challenge something about what's being taught so that it's like, you know, it's like an active engagement with the conversation. Like, oh, but what about this? What about that? And you couldn't really say anything because you're like, he's explaining it so perfectly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Or maybe I was less intelligent too. (laughs) (laughs) I actually, um, I still feel like that when I get to listen to, his Holiness David Mujaswam Raj um, speak. It's I feel really embarrassed because I, I want to be an inquisitive disciple, but he says it all in the class. So, I mean, <laughs> I don't have any questions afterwards. <laughs> it's all very clear. Um, okay, great. And um, yeah, could you just share a little bit about where you're at now and, you know, what you're engaged in currently? So currently I'm living in Auckland, New Zealand, and I'm um, uh, associated with our outreach center called The Loft, uh, where we teach yoga, meditation, and give talks on philosophy, Bhagavad Gita. So I'm actively engaged there as a full-time volunteer. Mm. So some of my services are um, helping cook and cook clean and teach a few classes and go out and book distribution. Um, and yeah, just get to know people and make them devotees. Try, <laughs> try to make them devotees. Awesome. That, that really brings us right into um, what I'd really love to talk to you about today, which is, yeah, how it is like that Midas touch that you have on people's hearts that you're able to just give them a little tap and it just turns to gold. So um, yeah, just about cultivation. I'd love to focus on that if that's okay with you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, one thing I know about you is how lovingly and caringly you're able to sow the seed of devotion in others. Um, and you do it in such a patient way and you're you're very conscientious that everyone you speak to, you sort of are able to cater bhakti right in a specific way to give them the right dose and administer that medicine um so i guess would you be able to share with us um what motivates you first of all um in your service like what it is that inspires you and calls you to action what really motivates me to cultivation is um in the past krishna allowed me to see this that someone i met on the street and I gave them a book, then they came to our outreach center, and then they started meeting other devotees, attending the programs, and then started chanting, and they took up the process, and then they entered the ashram, then they got, they, they started distributing books, and then they started meeting more people and bringing them in and making them devotees. So that was really very inspiring for me, that so I could see someone like progress right from the time I met them on the street, they were just like anyone. And then they slowly, they blossomed in bhakti and they could bring others into bhakti. And they got initiated by my spiritual master. And then they became such fixed of devotees that I really, yeah, really, yeah, appreciate them a lot and very grateful that they are actually still continuing their bhakti path. So it's very inspiring for me. I, yeah, I can fully relate um, because at last program we had uh, Gita Govinda here and she was mentioning that I had the, the blessing actually that I was able to give her a Bhagavad Gita. And I feel like I it's insane because this person 
like you said, blossomed before my eyes. And now it's like good association for me. <laughs> like, like, yeah, it's insane. Um, yeah, I mean, I can actually take shelter over. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, it's such a, it strengthens our resolve when we are able to see other people bloom, right? And it also helps us when we might be having like a feeling of yeah too because they're like oh but this one over here she's like going full speed <laughs> you know i like i helped her yeah. in that direction so um so my next question is um you know you've been uh out on books and doing sankirtan are you still there Maya? Oh, there you are. Um, yeah. So, um, you've been, you know, out and doing books for 15 years on the street, 15 years plus, and you've seen, um, you know, as time has passed, you've seen society changing in terms of its response to technological advancement, um, people's lives, um, becoming more busy perhaps, or even inter, um, uh, intercontinental travel, people coming from one country to the other in a much more fluent way. Um, and as all those developments have happened, uh, I'm wondering if you've seen, well, I'm actually just really curious what your observations have been in terms of people's consciousness. H have you noticed it? becoming more favorable to bhakti or have you noticed that it's becoming more degraded how people are they still able to um interact with you on the street in a genuine and like friendly way or are they able to pay attention or are people really anxious um yeah so i'm just really wondering uh, I wanted to make the analogy like a Sankirtan devotee is sort of like a soldier on the field. And um, when when they report back, it's really cr critical information for the rest of the society or the rest of like the armed forces. So we're sort of like that. Um, uh, I know Srila Prabhupada used kind of like these military terms to try to explain our war on Maya or our fight against Maya. So I just wanted to touch base with you on that and see if you could report back to us, like what are your observations been and what can we learn um, from you, you know, you, what you've observed on the streets. Mm. Yeah. In the past few years, I've noticed um, with the extensive use of um, technology in terms of you know iPhones and all these um, technologies, people always on online checking internet. Uh, people seem to become very have become very distracted. They're extremely distracted. And um, yeah, as soon as you meet someone in the street and you start talking to them, it's like hardly less than a minute, and they start looking at their watch. Uh, or they just get a bit anxiety, anxious, and it, how far is this going to take? And uh, why am I doing this? And you know, they just kind of you can see all these questions. Uh, you can see that on their faces, and so they be, they are yeah quite in anxiety and always rushed and very distracted. Um, so in a way, it's hard because then you have to be super fast. 
when you're talking to people because uh, you just have to quickly gauge how much patience they have, how much time they have, because they just quickly want to know as soon as possible, who are you, what do you want, and why are you giving this to me? What is this? So it has to be very quick. That's one thing I've noticed. The other thing I've noticed is um, people have become <clears throat> very accustomed to becoming being entertained. They just always want to be entertained. So uh, that means there has to be something that really uh, makes them laugh or um, just you know ma makes them feel good about themselves and or takes their mind away from whatever anxiety they're having. They just always want to be entertained. But that's what the online social media is basically doing. Mm -hmm. So they're addicted to that. So it's quite a challenge because being on the street and being of a different age group from them, a different generation from them and um, trying to just see how to entertain them, how to get their attention, how to get a favorable yes or a no, a favorable response from them. So this is a very critical in a very short span of time, trying to touch their heart in those few seconds is quite, it, it's, it's, it has to be Krishna's mercy and prayer, <laughs> nothing else. It's not like our ability or talents. If to really pray to Krishna that please show me how I can touch this person's heart because once I've touched their heart, then that's when they really get, wake up. They out wake of up. Yeah. <laughs> because, because, the, because the consciousness has been so lulled uh, by overexposure, overstimulation, uh, that their, their real soul is really deep down underneath all this. And you have to really touch that soft spot where they say, how do you know about this? And do you really care about me? So they have to come to that position. So and all that in a few minutes. <laughs> so it's quite exciting to do that. And uh, obviously it's practice in Krishna's mercy. So over the years, that's what I've seen that it's becoming harder and harder to get people's attention and also to people, to get people's trust because uh, they have lost trust. You know, they, they don't know, it's not that they've lost trust in people, but they've just lost trust in life. Yeah, they don't. They don't know what to expect from life. They think there's nothing to expect. There's nothing to look forward to, even if they're very young, like seventeen, eighteen. They're just raised in that way. When when you say trust in life, what would be an example of somebody who really trusts in life? Like, what, how do you feel like they would compare to somebody who's lost trust? Basically, they have no hope where they're going on in life, what do they want to, what do they want to become in life? What's the purpose of life? How do they see themselves in three years or two years? They actually don't think that far because they think it's not worth thinking. Because there's not nothing worth striving for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was thinking about that. It's a really interesting thing. Like it really hit my heart when you said they they've lost trust in life because it kind of the way that, that um sounded to me was they've lost trust in themselves having any purpose. Especially in New Zealand, I don't know about other countries. I'm pretty sure in countries that are not that well off, there is a lot of pressure to be successful in life, to achieve something, to be something. So it could be different in other countries. But in New Zealand, it's... Um, it's a they have, it's a welfare state here, so you're not really pushed to achieve or become something. 
the government always supports you. Most people. Mm-hmm. So there's not like a much of a driving force from inside for people to, uh, you know, they don't even have to think about surviving. Right. It's all taken care of. <laughs> right. They're sort of so, just sort of coasting. Yeah, they're just coasting. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a that's a very sad situation because it's like more of ignorance. There's not even passion. Mm-hmm. So to bring someone from more of ignorance to goodness is is not easy. <laughs> because they don't even feel the need for it. So, um have you ever um met somebody where you felt like they were in the mode of ignorance on the street and um you were able to sort of like you said sort of touch that soft spot of their heart where they seem to have like shaken up from some sort of nightmare. <laughs> it doesn't happen immediately because uh, obviously I'm not so empowered to <laughs> <laughs> like Lord Chaitanya could raise the animals to, you know, chant Hare Krishna. I don't have that kind of empowerment. <laughs> But I do notice that if the people, if we keep meeting the same person again and again, mm. uh, and then slowly they actually, just by our association, they uh, they like our association and then they start listening to us. And then, and then slowly they, you know, uh, they have lots of prasadam. They start liking. Okay. I was going to ask you: is the is the way for the mode of ignorance is like it's always feeding them first, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, just very light. You know, there's no philosophy, no deep thinking, no deep talking. Nothing. It's just if they coast, we also coast with them. <laughs> Yeah, it's sort of like um, you know, when there's a newborn child, it, it's more or less just nurturing, mothering, feeding. Yeah. It's not like, okay, like let's teach you how to do some alphabets or ABCs. No, like then it's not there yet. Yeah. <laughs> it's just meeting them where they're at. Yeah, true. Okay, and um yeah, so I guess on that note, you know, what you were saying like if they're coasting coast, if they're you know, if they're running run, <laughs> um, then, um, for, there's a lot of devotees all around the world and a lot of them who are listening to this podcast, they might be, um, doing service at preaching centers, like outreach centers around the world where, you know, they might be more like yoga studios and, or vegan cafes and places where it's, you know, not a, not a traditional temple. So, um, It's already sort of like indirect in the sense that it, you know, might not have a deity of Krishna front and center and, you know, people aren't dressed in devotional clothing or something, but still like devotees could have a mood that when somebody comes to that door that they, you know, want to like, just kind of jump on them and like <laughs> give them every, tell them everything they just read in the fifth canto or something. <laughs> so, um, I'm just wondering, uh, what would your advice be to those devotees who are in outreach centers? Like, how can they give bhakti without pushing it on others or, you mm-hmm. know, alienating people from them when they're actually trying to bring them closer? Mm. Yeah. I mean, we can be empathetic and uh, see introspect what would it be like for us to be in a situation that's very strange and um, yeah it's just a different culture different people are already on the edge when they enter a preaching center outreach center they don't know what to expect 
and um, the environment is so different. You can smell, smell incense, and already it's vegetarian, vegan, and Hare Krishna mantra, and it's just everything is so foreign to them. Everything is so new, so they're already quite shaken up by that experience. Although they may not show it, they're quite they they're very curious or somehow very alert and vigilant. Uh, what this is all about. Mm. So just like <clears throat> I've never been to a casino, but one time I went on a marathon. My friend and I uh, we went to distribute books in a casino because we were very desperate. It was raining outside, so we thought there was, <laughs> there's this huge casino somewhere in the town. So we entered, and it was my first time. Although she had she had been there many times. I mean, she had been exposed to that kind of environment. So I was actually quite um, cautious. You know, I was. Uh, of course, I wasn't afraid that I would start gambling or something, but you know, <laughs> no. let's just to see how everything is arranged in a casino was a very new experience for me. All those different machines and there were groups of people sitting, um, playing something and uh, there were some people who were like, they were kind of assigned to a particular group. They're overseeing that group and things like that and there were different levels in the casino and yeah. there were different sections in the casino bar and those kind of things so it was quite um it uh, for me it seemed i was in a different planet because i never entered such a place so mm. i was actually uh, comparing that to someone coming to our outreach centers although it is not like a casino it's just like a simple place but just like they, they can't really put their finger on what this place is all about are you guys into yoga are you guys into meditation? Are you guys into, is this a restaurant? Or is this a library? What is it? Is this is like it a religion a, or, yeah. Is it a religion or, like, what do you, what do, you do? And like they, because every place has a certain defined, uh, you know, it's a category, you can categorize it. If it's a bar, this is how it must look like. If it's a restaurant, this is what it should look like. But this looks like everything. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like your living room. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like it looks like you can meditate, you can do yoga, you can do lifestyle talks, you can eat, you can chit chat. So it's like everything. So they can't really put it in one box, mm-hmm. and and it's quite confusing for them what it is. So we have to be very sympathetic towards these people and not be too eager to uh, preach. Because just as they are trying to figure out who we are, we also want to figure out who they are. You know, what is it that they brought? What is it that brought them here? Why were they curious in the first place? Are they very lonely, or are they a curious person, or are they really interested, genuinely interested in yoga meditation, or are they going through a tough, you know, um, rough patch in their life? We want to know them actually. And obviously these days people don't have any deep relationships. So they're always looking for someone who really cares for them and values them as a person. Like I remember, I remember how Vaishishika Prabhu says, uh, imagine every person has this badge, uh, the label on them saying that, make me feel special. <laughs> so, <laughs> so every person has that written on their face, make me feel special. And that's what we're there for. Um, but in a very genuine way, not a plastic way. Mm. So yeah, one thing I've really learned over the years is never to be too eager to preach and never be too eager to tell about yourself because it's not about you, it's about them. Thank you so much, that is golden. 
Um, I'm, you're giving me some really good uh, tips here too. <laughs> um, I was wondering, I, this wasn't on my list, but because you were speaking in such a beautiful way, um, something that came to my mind, it, I guess it's um, a concern, I guess, or you know, something that I might have observed in um, devotee culture, which is that you know sometimes we can get a little bit steady in our devotional service and we might be going out on Sankirtan and doing some preaching and have, you know, met a few people and maybe they're coming along and doing this or that. Um, what would you recommend or what would your advice be to devotees? Um, and it might be the same the advice that you just gave, but um, who are really eager to get people like initiated and, you know, for them to say, oh yeah, so-and-so brought me here and, you know, to have that recognition. Um, mm. Because I think that there's a, I guess my, my fear, my concern is that devotees might be not genuinely caring about the guests, like the way you're describing it, like mm. really trying to fi- find out why are they here not what what my agenda is for them, which is that they're going to be another, you know, kick somewhere mm-hmm. where I'm keeping score of all the devotees I've made or all the devotees I've gotten initiated or something. Mm-hmm. So I was just wondering if you had anything to share about that. Mm. I mean, we should always keep this in mind. At least I try to do that. We have to see what's best for the person that we're bringing along. Um, Maybe we are we maybe I may not, not be the best person to cultivate that person because um, you know I, I find that that person is not able to open up to me somehow. We're all individuals. We don't not everybody connects with everyone. So we have to see who would be the best other other best devotee to connect to this person. Yeah. Because we want we want the best for the person. So I may not get the tick, but somehow the, the person has to become Krishna conscious. So we are always thinking who would be the other devotee best option for him to cultivate him and bring him along. And then we pass that devotee on to that, that person to other devotee. Mm-hmm. And so we move out of the way. Uh, we may have been instrumental in bringing the person to the outreach center, but that doesn't mean that we are the only gardener of that plant. You know, there may be several other suitable gardeners. So if the person is very like, very scientific minded and very intellectual, then we want to connect them to other devotees who can, you know, fan that spark in them. And if they are very, uh, you know, just seeing the nature, if they're very musical and very creative, then we want to connect to those devotees who can inspire them to cultivate that, you know, uh, thing in them. So we don't, we don't want to be the only person, you know. So we, we always should be keen to delegate rather than just taking everything in our own control. But at the same time, we should also be uh, quite uh, aware and um, we should be very observant. Although we have passed this person on to another devotee, but is he really being taken care? Because uh, because whatever said and done, we are the first person who we met, we're the first contact. Um, so um, we definitely have a good connection with them. That's why they came. But at the same time, we are not the best person to help them grow. So although we may pass them on to the other devotee, but we still should be in touch with them and see how they're progressing. Um, and yeah, just like nurturing a plant. So always having a caring eye on them. 
but not like showing that you are you are my property and going to look after you. <laughs> and I guess we also have to be mindful, you know, for instance, say I know that you're taking care of somebody, then I know sometimes devotees like we all want to kind of have have our um, hand on the watering can. It's like we all want to be watering the same plant, especially if you say, oh, he's doing so well. It's all just, but like you can overwater a plant. <laughs> That's very <really> bad. <laughs> See, when I was new in cultivation, the first thing I learned was um, whenever a new person comes, um, there's only one person who actually really looks after that person. Everybody else is just their friend. Yeah. So not everybody is asking that person, how many rounds are you chanting? How many chapters of the Bhagavad Gita have you read? Not everyone is asking that person, otherwise it gets too much. So only one person keeps track of their progress and and everybody is just, it's just a friend. That's all, they just have fun with them and laugh with them and yeah, just keep it light. <laughs> Thank you so much. This such beautiful nuggets of wisdom here um, and um, is there anything that you have seen um, in cultivation you know that devotees are doing or that have done in the past that it hasn't been so effective or any like kind of lessons learned even it could be something that you've done or other people and you know that you are might have had um, Ishtagoshti around or said like, we really can't be doing this stuff anymore. <laughs> I haven't seen anything outrageous as of now because um, here in New Zealand, we have such a nice culture for cultivation and we are nicely trained how to do it. So I haven't seen anything outrageous. One thing I have seen uh, when people keep coming, for a few times and say if they have attended one of our spiritual master's talks. And then they might ask questions like, um, who actually owns this place? Uh, who runs it? And uh, who's the main in charge, basically? They tend to ask those questions. So we have to be very sensitive. Uh, we don't want to spill all the beans because it's no use to them. I mean, what are they going to do anyway? knowing who's in charge, because the point is not to know who's in charge. The point is to know what's the process <laughs> of Krishna consciousness and how I can use it in my life. That's what the person should be actually inquiring. Yeah. But somehow if they get a hunch, or oh, I don't know if this is a cult or something and I'm being sucked into it. Um, so we have to be very sensitive how to not just say everything. Um, yeah, I have seen devotees say that, saying the name of my spiritual master, saying he's the one who runs the show and he makes the decisions. And um, mm. I don't know if that is appropriate to say that because it's uh, not. It's, I mean, he he obviously gives guidance and is assisting the management, but I would say it's not even really accurate. Like he yeah. is really letting other people run the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know. His yeah, his motto he what he has taught us is that make it easy for everyone. So what makes it easy is um, helping people practice Krishna consciousness at their own pace and and at the at the level they can. So that's where we have to be steering the a person and his inquiries 
rather than inquiring about these you know political things like who was in charge and how does it run and is it a cult and what is this initiation thing what do you have to do do you mm. become part of a group or something they try and because they try and try and compare it with whatever corrupt knowledge they have or the experience they would have had with some other groups or maybe they've read something really wrong on internet and they're trying to evaluate from that perspective but here it's like very simple we just plainly giving krishna consciousness you know we we're not trying to <laughs> it's definitely not for profit <laughs> <laughs> we're not the we're not the bhataharis from the chaitanya charitamrita alluring women and you know <laughs> making our group grow we're not into that we we just we're just teaching people how to appreciate prabhupada's books mm. how to um how to call out to the holy name how to follow the four regulatory principles how to avoid maya <laughs> basically we're talking very simple it, so um i think that one thing i can say about that is um when i like first started practicing i remember you know trying to explain to my family what the four regulatory principles are and stuff like this and and then you know if i'd sit down at dinner and i would like you know say a prayer before i ate or maybe i would like um wear my hair a certain way like with in a braid or in a or I don't know which is something and then I remember the question that I would always get at that time was um so um are you allowed to like eat this or eat that and then I would always answer this question like or you know are you allowed to um wear jeans i don't know just it could be anything so but it'd be like uh, this perception that i'm being like monitored by my society in a way where it's not a self-informed decision that mm-hmm. i'm making and that i haven't it's not like i've decided it's more like a child who's being told what to do mm-hmm. not an adult that has been educated and chosen a value system that i align with so whenever i'd be asked like are you allowed to do this are you allowed to do that and i'd always be like allowed by like who i'm an adult like i'm making my own choices i've chosen this and yeah. so i feel like that's kind of where people when they come from this perspective of like oh, who's like who's running this and you know and then are they you know you know do you have to do this do you have to do that is this what it's for is that it's like these are grown adults making their own informed decisions after coming to turn it's just like when you go to school and you know if, if you were to go to university and sit in on a philosophy class if someone were to start to, to sort of berate the floss or the philosophy teacher and start saying like oh so you're talking about Descartes so uh, it is there like you know is is Descartes running the show <laughs> and it's like no we just want to learn about his philosophy so mm-hmm. we can educate ourselves to make values in our lives and align ourselves to a better degree you know as mm-hmm. individuals and aspire for a higher yeah sense of well-being and consciousness that's what mm-hmm. philosophy is for so <laughs> it's like not about being allowed to do something or not allowed to do something it's decisions mm-hmm. anyway it just was a really interesting conception mm. of um this like 
this hierarchical understanding. And it's not that institutions don't have hierarchies. They're there for practical purposes, mm-hmm. but, mm-hmm. and they have mm-hmm. to be for it to run properly. But yeah, I guess there have obviously been um, institutions where their hierarchy or, you know, those in charge, you could say, mm-hmm. maybe misused power. And I think that that's really where it's coming from. Like people might feel insecure about, you know, learning this or that and in, an, in, you know, in an institutional environment or an organization, because they might feel like, well, I want to make sure I'm aware of what the leadership's values are and what, what the leaders are doing, because ultimately, you know, if I'm, if I'm, you know, paying admission to get in here. I want to know where those funds are going. And so it's, I feel like I can kind of understand because our society, like you were saying, has so much distrust and there have been examples of institutions where that has become corrupt. But at the same time, it, it, I can also understand the flip side of it, of it being a good genuine place where you get educated. Yeah. That's why um, places like outreach centers are very relevant in the Western world because here, here is a place where we focus more on the essence of the philosophy and not so much on the form of the philosophy. Like in one lecture I heard Radhanath Maharaj say that uh, there's a form and the essence. So the essence is that we are the servant of Krishna and this is how you practice Krishna consciousness. And the form is, you know, deities, practices, rituals, uh, what, the, the way we worship, the way we are devotional clothing or the kind of language we speak. Um, those are all externals. So those are the things that we we help the people stay away from. So even if they inquire about those things, we don't encourage we don't encourage inquiries that are related to the form, the externals. We encourage inquiries regarding the essence, you know, uh, about who are we, consciousness and modes of nature and how they impact. So With those kind doing of doing them such a favor by focusing on the essence, because at the end of that conversation, like they at least can walk away with something. Because if you just yes. talk about the externals, they can walk away with just confusion, really. Or maybe they'll know a little bit about like, some ridiculous practicality of our organization, like <laughs> the structure of our management system. But... <laughs> Okay, well, that wasn't really why Krishna said you. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to help you to feel like to sleep easy at night, you know? <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, it was really interesting. Um, so I think um, since we were talking about um, our spiritual master, David Mutasong Maharaj, um, I just wanted to give a little quote here. So uh, he said that if you want to preach, be prepared to have your heart crushed to powder. <laughs> uh, so I, I've always thought about this point and I feel like he is mercifully telling us this to prepare us to have endurance. Mm. Um, so I was wondering for yourself, like, have you ever had an experience of feeling crushed in this way? And how did you continue, if so? Mm. I don't remember anything from the top of my head being crushed to powder. <laughs> but um, 
I do see sometimes people who who you've been cultivating and once they become a bit more um kind of stable and familiar with our environment uh they may tend to ignore you or they may tend to not follow your advice or or they may tend to treat you as a equal <laughs> because this is clear <laughs> um okay, <it's> <laughs> so we have to be just like you're raising teenage kids you know so when they come to teenage um you have to expect certain things <laughs> so similarly when they get older they may tell you off or something or they may try to correct you or they may make try to advise you um so those things are there and that could be painful it could be very humbling um that is something i've faced um but but that's okay uh, because by being humble we are actually teaching them um how to how to take even criticism or corrections um you know as a navi yeah <laughs> because if they stick to the bhakti process they also will have to face the situation one day <laughs> and then they'll look back and what will they have you know they they need some example because if they <laughs> so if they have seen us acting in a certain way they will actually repeat the same because this is how we setting the parampara so they will say oh i remember when i was being you know um not being nice to my the problem that my is is that sometimes like people they only remember themselves being angels <laughs> so i guess like you could say oh hopefully you know they'll see the good example in you when you know they're like oh die my why are you doing like this do it like that and you're like ah! <laughs> <laughs> It's like a painful shock um and you know you tolerate or you're very humble and that might be your response but they could just be thinking oh well that's just how diamaya is and but they mm. might not really know that you're tolerating them because mm. when you're tolerating somebody they don't always know that you are <laughs> and that's then, true. yeah and then oh, it's only usually when somebody points it out to you like Mm. you know for i can say for myself that it's only when a senior devotee has pointed it out to me like that i'm overstepping you know mm. you listen you you're actually overstepping like mm. you're senior and then i might feel really i might feel really humbled by that and just be like oh like that's distasteful and it's it's embarrassing yeah. you know and i wouldn't have known if they didn't tell me so that's true yeah that's that's uh, that's an area that i need to <laughs> improve on <laughs> personally um, it all depends on your uh, on up- upbringing as well the way i've been raised in my family is that you learn by seeing how your par- parents behave and then when you are in a similar situation you actually remember oh this is how you meant to behave in such situation because that's how my parents used to be so i kind of go from that angle but i can truly understand in the west it works a different way in the west you <laughs> you're really thick-headed you have to be told off and that's how you learn so it's a bit rough um but yeah i i think raised in a very gentle way so anyway so what i have seen is um we always remain their friends regardless of how they treat us and if we see them going through a similar situation we reach out to them and be empathetic and uh, and understand what they're going through and and that's when they're actually ready to take your advice 
because they're in such a vulnerable position. They're feeling so bad and they're feeling they're being let down or insulted or whatever. And uh, instead of taking that on them, saying that, remember you did this to me and now this is your turn. <laughs> instead of getting back, on them, <laughs> getting back on them, being sympathetic and say, I totally understand what you're going through, but you know, what I did when I was in such a situation, this is what I did. So then, then it's up to them to choose how they want to, you know, uh, deal with their situation. And so. for for you, like um, when you're tolerating, uh, you know, maybe feeling minimized by somebody, whether you're cultivating them or whether it's another devotee who might be, you know, your junior. Um, that pain can be quite deep and it can be quite disturbing to the mind as well. Mm -hmm. um, and it can make you feel quite lonely, I think, because you might feel like, you know, you put your whole heart or you invested so much in this person and now, you know, this is your reward. <laughs> Some brat. <laughs> so um, I guess, uh, how do you transform that pain back into its position of like giving bhakti to that person again, like, or love and, um, mm. give you more of a reason to, to go deeper in Krishna's service. And as you know, that like mm. more tolerant than a blade of grass or sorry, um, more humble than a blade of grass, more tolerant than a tree. Mm. Well, if it's so disturbing that it's actually, um, affecting your everyday service, in a practical way, then it's best to discuss uh, with a senior devotee or your mentor as to how to deal with the situation, how to deal with this person, because I'm not able to carry on with my service. If that happens, then I actually discuss with my mentors. And if it's just a mental thing, I'm mentally out and <laughs> that can happen too. I'm a conditioned soul too. So I can be super sensitive. <laughs> so I have to guard that as well. So in that case, I just have to, yeah, you get the realization that no one but Krishna can really appreciate you and Krishna always appreciates you. And the spiritual master who is a representative of Krishna also appreciates you. Wow. Because they can see um, your heart and your dedication, your sincerity. They definitely can see it. And so the holy name is always um, is always uh, giving us shelter. So we take shelter of the holy name. Um, it's such a nice, um, you know, uh, opportunity for us to cry out to the holy name and beg that, um, please allow me to be um, more and more kind to people. Let my heart be filled with kindness for people. So we we want to pray like that. And then we want to pray to Srimad Bhagavatam to enlighten us when we do our sadhana every day, how to uh, actually become tolerant and how to not just tolerate, but actually how to see that this is my position. This is my constitutional position. My position is to be a humble servant. So, but I want to do this willingly and lovingly, not just because I have to do it. So just really praying to Krishna and going on the street really helps because that's the place where you can really make up for all that, you know, all the grudge and uh, pain in your heart because such and such devotee treated you. You just go out and you just absorb yourself and Sankita.
absorb yourself in talking to people and you'll be surprised krishna will send such nectar people they'll be so appreciative for what you do because he's making up for all that <laughs> so you come home really enlivened because you think hey after all it's not that bad it's not that everybody misunderstands me it's oh, this new bhakta it's fine you know bhakti uh, but other people actually really appreciate but krishna appreciates what i'm doing and that's why he's sending so many nice people mm. so tolerance always um always is beneficial That's an amazing point because I, <laughs> I think it's incredible because um you know a lot of times what happens is when we're feeling mental you know that's time when that's the last time you know that's not when we want to go on on books right because you're already feeling a little <laughs> vulnerable you have like all your mentality like is disturbed or whatever and then you I know for myself I can be thinking if i go out what do i have to give like you know i'm like i just i should just sit down and budget mm. and be like just absorb myself in the holy name and and you know try to sort myself out rather than go out on the street and try to give because if i go out on the street and try to give from where i'm coming from now i might make offenses to the devotees you know the the uh, jeevas on the street or yeah. i might i might be you know it might be obvious that i'm disturbed to them and it might be embarrassing mm. or even even more embarrassing or whatever so i know my mind has these um mm. it, it kind of plays on me when i'm feeling like that um but what's incredible um what you're describing and i think i've had some slight experience of it too is if you just go anyway mm. um then i think it really enchants krishna's heart because mm. thinking oh this person is disturbed but they're taking shelter of sankirtan you know it's, mm. it's a dear service yeah. to krishna and he's thinking while you, instead of sitting at home and feeling sorry for yourself you're thinking there might be other people who might feel the way i do i should go and mm. try to talk to them and bring let's all let's all go to krishna together <laughs> <laughs> so um and what i i think uh what you were saying and yeah what i've experienced is that yeah the the disturbances in the mind start to sort of settle a little bit while you're out on books and when you start meeting those people who have some appreciation it's um yeah it's just it kind of just keeps the heart soft instead mm -hmm. of solidifying in that you know lonely feeling that we might get which mm -hmm. can kind of harden our heart mm -hmm. so yeah it's it was actually kind of a mystical experience that whole thing like there's a lot going on there is <laughs> going on yeah. when you're feeling a bit disturbed and it's amazing like yeah. how transformed you can feel by the experience yeah because it's complete dependence on krishna and you're completely depending and even if you're in the worst of your moods you just have to go and stand there you don't have to do much and but just by your sincere you know prayer and your feeling of regret or remorse or whatever you're feeling uh, krishna actually reciprocates he sends nice people mm. and and you have um, and they really appreciate you may you may not say many words about the book or anything they just buy the books anyway so because because krishna in the heart is really uh, reciprocating 
Um, that's one way of doing it. And and it may not just get resolved on one day, you know, you go and thank you, thank you, it's resolved. It may linger on for a few days or a week. Or, but we just carry on with our duty. Our duty is to whoever has life should preach. That's what Bhakti Siddhanta Maharaj said. So when we stop preaching, we are dead. So because of one person insulting us, if we stop our preaching, if we stop our service, then, you know, we start shriveling up. Yeah. And yeah, that's, and I mean, like the heart becomes like hard. And yeah, it was amazing what you were saying before about how I can't remember the exact words that you were saying, but it was kind of like this analogy of like, yeah, just shriveling up, becoming hard and, and, you know, not wanting to give anymore. And hockey yeah. is really about giving. I've heard that um, uh, a selfish life is a boring life. Right? Miserable life. <laughs> yeah. It's like <laughs> horrible. But I often have, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. I often think about the analogy of the grass, like how in some yeah we often hear that how uh, grass is so like humble you someone can trample on it and it can again come back to its natural so so yeah. like that you know yeah we always think that it, you have to be you have to be strong to be you know like really stiff and strong to be um able to endure Mm-hmm. But you can see grass is, grass is so soft. And that's the reason why I can just like take it and then just go. <laughs> so just as we are light on our feet on the street, we have to be light on our feet amongst devotees as well. Um, there may be different, yeah, comments or whatever, uh, different devotees saying different things that may hurt us. But we just have to be very light on our feet. So even if you feel bad, um, it's. I, I often tell myself if I feel uh, being abused or uh, you know <laughs> overused by any devotee or something, I just feel that I just tell myself it's better to be cheated by a devotee than be <laughs> cheated by a non-devotee. <laughs> At least I'll get some credit if I'm abused by a devotee. You know, so I'd rather be abused by a devotee. <laughs> it's, it kind of. I don't know why. What but what came to mind was. Um, was it uh, Advaita Acharya when he was getting the rice thrown at him by Lord Nityananda? It's like you could say like, "Oh, Lord Nityananda, he's like being so mean," but he was like, "Yeah, <laughs> it's like I'm being abused by you." <laughs> but he, he doesn't take it like that. He takes it like, "I have a relationship with you. That's why you can be honest with me. That's why yeah. you can say these like funny yeah. things to me." <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. Like we don't want to be overly familiar with one another, but at the same time, actually, mm. when you're a devotee, all you have is other devotees. Like yeah. it's it's your only possession. Like all, <laughs> all we have is each other. So, and it's all yeah. you want too. You don't want anything else. Like yeah. if, if you if you were to ask a devotee, um, yeah, he like I'll give you a million dollars, but you can't be around any devotees anymore. No oh. devotee would take it. <laughs> it's a <laughs> priceless <laughs> treasure. <laughs> That's our wealth. (laughs) Yeah, that's our true wealth. So um, we're just going to round out with five um, fast round questions. Oh. These um, I have not prepared you for. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) So um, the first one is, if you were the queen of the world, (laughs) how would you spread bhakti? Hmm. Unlimited resources. All the power. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. 
never imagined myself in that situation. Yeah. <laughs> I would, uh, You'd be a damn well, sober queen, Diamond. Sorry. <laughs> You'd be a very sober queen. <laughs> mm. Well, I'll just um, be an inspiring example. So just by my my example, I'll inspire everyone around me to be Krishna conscious. Not force anyone, because just I'm in that powerful position and I've got everything in my command. I can't force anyone, but I can just, um, just by being a good example, I can. Because as um, we hear in Bhagavad Gita, everyone wants to follow. So everyone wants to follow a nice leader. So if you're, if you're in a leadership position, be an inspiring leader, be encouraging, positive, and always um, catch people doing the right thing. Uh, I heard Vaishishi Kapoor say that in a class, so it's very inspiring. Catch people doing the right thing, not the wrong thing. <laughs> so, yeah. He's so merciful. That's such a wonderful thing to say. Um, when uh, Just give me one word when you hear Sankirtan. Um, <clears throat> true bliss. Okay, what's your favorite prasad? Oh. <laughs> um, sweet rice. <laughs> um, what's the best instruction you've ever got? Hmm. This instruction is, it's not the quantity, it's the quality. I'm writing it down. And when I mean quality, does that mean when you're on books, like, you know, it's not how many books go out. It's like the quality of experiences that you're having with the people on the street. Yes. And also in general, like, yeah, cultivation, how you are, uh, how is your personal bhakti? It's not quality. It's it's not quantity. It's quality. Okay. Like in terms of like rounds and chanting your rounds and how much you're reading and everything like that. Yeah. But I guess you're right. Um, the, when I got this instruction, it was actually related to books. Okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they kind of trans extended it to other areas of my practice as well. Nice. Um, okay, there's just one more. Um, so, is there a moment? Or sorry, yeah. What would be one moment when you were on Sankirtan that you would either take back or relive? Take back in the sense like that wasn't the best experience. I'm going to take that back. <laughs> like I'm not going to say that. Or relive like you just like it really. You were like you know on the money and everything was just you know Krishna was just giving you that mercy. Your lips were just flowing with nectar. <laughs> hmm. One moment. So you want me to describe the situation or? Oh, okay. Um, I think it's happened a couple of times when when we're on the street and uh, someone we're displaying. These days we've started displaying Bhagavatam sets on the street and because my spiritual master wants 
small bar with them sets to be sold so yeah there are situations where people just come and they within a few minutes they have decided to get the whole set and they pay it off immediately so that's something i would like to relive <laughs> um take back yeah i guess um <clears throat> in some exchanges you know when um yeah sometimes i i meet people who are very cool <laughs> so i just don't know how to deal with very cool people <laughs> because yeah i just don't have haven't been around cool people so much <laughs> growing up <laughs> just been around mediocre people so so i just don't know how to deal with very cool people i just have to let them go or sometimes it's like a very rough exchange and i just <laughs> i just feel it never happened <laughs> or at least i knew how to deal with it in a positive way when you say cool you mean like proud oh okay okay <laughs> too cool to talk to <laughs> okay gotcha and you, and there's sometimes where you sort of like are reaching out to them but you get real shafted and then you're just like i'm just going to pretend that didn't happen <laughs> it's like a thick wall i just turn hard <laughs> Regardless, regardless, regardless of how humble I am, I just can't pierce through that pride. You know, it's so very just... painful. I understand. Yeah, especially when somebody looks really cool, it can be a little bit horrifying. Yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah, high school all over again. <laughs> um, well, I just wanted to yeah, just from the bottom of my heart, thank you for coming on this podcast and sharing your realizations. with myself and also everyone else who hopefully listens to this from the beginning to the end and um i just wanted to also tell our listeners that we're very 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 blessed and lucky to have diamaya on this podcast diamaya is very shy and quite reserved and super difficult to pin down and ask to do things like this so we're really lucky and yeah so please take advantage listen to this um over and over again there's so many nuggets of wisdom that diamaya shared with us so please churn it to the bottom and yeah allow it to inspire your soul so that's that's it Thank you so much Katamrita for having me on this podcast. It's my first time giving a podcast. So I hope something useful came out and I hope it is uh, useful for the devotees and really seek blessings of the devotees who are hearing this podcast so that I may also uh, grow in my bhakti and my service to my spiritual master. Thank you again for listening to Sankirtan on. Please feel free to subscribe and share with your friends for regular updates and inspirational stories on how by giving we grow. Thank you for sharing this time with us. All glories to Shri Prabhupada.